Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we had uh, college basketball over the weekend. We had some more mind-numbing coaching decisions in the NFL, which I know you love the the coaches who <laughs> choose to take the conservative scaredy cat route. So we'll we'll break that down as well. But tons of OSU hoops news to get to, Colby. But first, how was your weekend? Yeah, good weekend. Uh, started to feel a little bit better and. Uh, Got to watch some good college basketball on Saturday. Got to watch part of Oklahoma State play against Baylor. The OU Kansas game was entertaining. And then the football yesterday was absolutely awesome. So it was a good weekend all in all. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Unfortunately, OSU did not have a winning weekend. They uh, they lost to Baylor, which we're going to break down that game. But I think the, the first thing we have to start with, Colby, is it was sort of a strange scene. Uh, Cade Cunningham – well, first, the OSU team was cleared on Friday to play on Saturday. So really – they were waiting all week to see if they were even going to be able to play the game against Baylor. They did have the necessary amount of players, but Cade Cunningham and Rondell Walker warm up with the team, sit on the bench with the team, but they were ruled out just minutes before the tip-off. And uh, it's kind of a strange scene. So you're, you're, you're playing the number two ranked team in the country without Cade Cunningham, who's your best player, and without Rondell Walker, who's really been their best player off the bench. So Right away, they were dealt a, a really significant blow before the game even tipped off and what was a strange scene. Yeah, they were. It, it was weird because uh, I was actually on the phone with my parents who were headed to Stillwater for the game. And they asked me, they were like, any, any word on Cade? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And right then I refreshed Twitter and I saw the tweet that he was out on the court warming up. So I told him, I said, okay, here's some good news. Cade's on the court warming up, so should be good to go there. And didn't really think much of it until about a half hour later when it was tweeted that he would be out for the game on Saturday and it, it kind of made sense after the game once we got the explanation for it but you know I, I did see uh, a couple of irrational takes on Saturday I saw some people blaming Mike Boynton for the loss and Baylor going on the run in the second half and you know Oklahoma State was a nine-point underdog before Cade and Rondell were, were ruled out that line immediately jumped to 12 as soon as Cade was ruled out and look Baylor was the better team. Baylor's 14-0. and 0. They're undefeated. They're undefeated in a conference play in the best conference in the country. Baylor's pretty good. Baylor goes again on runs against everybody. I don't know who's watched much Baylor basketball this year. Texas Tech had an early second-half lead against Baylor. You know what happened? Baylor went on a run, and Baylor ended up beating them by, I think, eight points. Baylor has not had a single game this season decided by less than eight points. So it, it is a shame that Oklahoma State did not get to see them uh, with Cade and with Rondell on Saturday. But that being said, you know, it's a game that you probably don't win anyway. So I would rather be extra careful with guys' health than try to run them out in the hopes that you pull off a miracle upset. No, I, I think that's the right call too. And you said it made sense afterwards, and it, it kind of does, but it's still a strange situation in that Cade was not cleared to play, but basically because he hadn't practiced in over a week. And Mike Boynton said he, he ran him out there for warm-ups just to let him get his heart rate up just a little bit and, you know, touch the basketball, which he hasn't done for a week and a half. But it's strange that he's ruled out with COVID, yet he's sitting right there on the bench. He's yelling instructions to his team. He's in the huddles. It's just very – it reminds me a lot when, when Trevor Lawrence was ruled out with COVID this year in the football season. But he's in full pads and, like, in the huddles yelling at everybody and, like, obviously breathing on everybody within six feet. So it, the, way Mike, the way Mike Boynton explained it was – 
he's passed the threshold of having to be quarantined, but not yet physically ready to play is basically what the way he explained it. So it's a very odd kind of middle ground because if you're sitting there watching the game, you're like, well, why is he, why is he in street clothes on the bench if he can't play? Like that, that just doesn't make sense at, at first glance. But according to Boynton, it, it appeared that he could be with the team, just he didn't want to run him out there. Kind of what you were speaking towards about, you know, you don't want to risk it playing against a, a Baylor. And Mike does say that, you know, Cade's 50-50 to play tonight against Iowa State, which we'll talk about in a second. But, but back to the Baylor game. And I don't know who in their right mind would be blaming Mike Boynton for this game. I mean, OSU only had eight players, just three players off the bench, which has kind of been a theme throughout Mike Boynton's tenure with defections and transfers and stuff like that. It's kind of back to what he was used to with no, no real bench to speak of. But OSU controlled this game for 30 minutes. It's the first time all season Baylor trailed at halftime. I think you have to give Mike Boynton a ton of credit, the fact they put up a fight for as long as they did. And when Baylor starts hitting threes, well, it's just, that's a, that's a wrap. I mean, and the, the Butler kid goes six for seven from three-point land. I mean, I, that's, again, that's back to my Gallagher-Iber theory about how teams just get hot from three. <laughs> and that, that those rims, Colby, I'm telling you, there's something to them. Six of seven from three is an, an anomaly in college basketball, even for a player like Butler's stature. But but I don't I don't really blame Mike Boynton. I really don't blame Mike Boynton for this game. And I actually give Mike Boynton a ton of credit, the fact they, they kept it this close for this long. M.A. Moncrief, I think, had a really good game. And I think, Caleb Boone to me really stood out his best game probably as a cowboy with 21 points and so I get you're frustrated that you lost the game but the fact that you took it to Baylor for 30 minutes I thought was encouraging yeah I don't think I could have possibly come away more impressed in a 15 point loss and more optimistic in a 15 point loss because Oklahoma State really battled hard and I mean you could see that Oklahoma State hit a wall physically and kind of with, with energy there in that second half uh you know even d mitchell the former walk-on now on scholarship who had the great story making the rounds last year he got in for seven minutes didn't score in those seven minutes but it, it just goes back to the lack of depth that you were talking about but carson i think that that game on saturday was so important for caleb boone and, and important for oklahoma state because caleb boone ad admittedly himself he talked about the fact that he was being tentative and, and he didn't have the confidence in himself that he needed to have. And I, I really hope that that game Saturday, you know, it clearly was an opportunity for him to say, okay, we don't have Cade. We don't have Rondell. I need to take the ball and I need to go score. I need to be the guy today. And the fact that he knew he needed to do that and did it to the tune of 21 points on 67% from the floor, seven rebounds, had an assist, a steal, a block, didn't get himself into foul trouble. I think that that could work wonders for Caleb Boone moving forward. And I think that – I hope that we can look back at the end of the season and say that Baylor game where Caden Rondell were both out is where Caleb was able to flip the switch mentally and become that guy that he needs to be for Oklahoma State because what this Oklahoma State team has been missing this season is that true steady inside presence and if Caleb Boone can be that and hopefully he can be you know not 21 points a game but hopefully he can be more confident the way he was on Saturday then that would work wonders for Oklahoma State down the stretch of the season. Yeah, I thought I thought he played outstanding. I think it was his best game as a Cowboy. I, I loved what you mentioned too. Like he he clearly was going through some confidence issues. He, he was very open and very honest about it. And that's something that, you know, I think every college basketball player is going to go through. You're going to go through spells where 
you're not playing up to your standard and you struggle with some confidence. So that was great to see him. He goes 10 for 15 from the floor, really, really showed all of his potential with the seven rebounds, 21 points. And I'm with you. I think they need him to be a presence inside because while Kuma has shown some ability to defend the rim, I think they need Boone to be the man, the man in the middle and protect the rim and, and get some blocks and, and be that type of player. And I thought Mike Boyne had a good strategy in terms of packing the paint and just, you know, trying to, trying to lull, just try and keep Baylor from getting hot from three. And that worked for 30 minutes. Then they just, once they catch fire from three, that's a wrap. But I, I liked his, his adjustments in terms of packing the paint, not letting them get as many easy buckets as, because that's what, that's really what's been killing OSU. I mean, they miss your A so much inside that their inside defense has, has not been good this year. So I thought Boone was, was really impressive and, and that's encouraging uh, moving, moving forward for sure. Any other thoughts on the uh, OSU Baylor game? Yeah, it's just, you know, the lack of, the, of depth is really sneaking up on Oklahoma State, a team that at the beginning of the season, we were like, man, there's just, there's too many guys. You can't get them all on the floor. Well, now you've got Farron Flavors out with the finger. You've got Chris Harris and Donovan Williams both out for the season with knee injuries. So all of a sudden, when you lose two guys, one to COVID with Cade Cunningham, the other uh, to an arm injury with Rondell Walker, and we still don't know the severity of that injury, all of a sudden, Oklahoma State's really thin depth-wise um, so just something to keep an eye on as we move forward. Oklahoma State suffers another injury or two, and all of a sudden you're going to have some tired legs in the second half of games. Yeah, no doubt. So that leads us into the game at Iowa State tonight. It's a late tip, 8 o'clock tip at Ames, Iowa. Again, Cade's 50-50. We don't know about the status of Rondell Walker. OSU's a three-point favorite, and you know Iowa State's been dealing with, with issues as well. I think they haven't played since January 9th, so two teams that have been dealing with COVID. Uh, we'll want we'll to see how how fully staffed Iowa State is. You'd think they would be by now since they haven't played since January 9th. But I think the number one thing we're going to be looking at is if Cade Cunningham plays. Because if he does, I, th- I fully expect OSU to win this game. But if he doesn't, it's going to be a it's going to be a dogfight. Look, I, Iowa State's not very good this year. This is a game you absolutely should win to get in the, the NCAA tournament. But you know who knows? We'll have to wait and see who's who's available. Yeah, Saturday's game kind of felt like you were playing with house money against Baylor. You know, if you don't win that game, you weren't supposed to win that game. No big deal. Not going to affect you getting into the tournament. Not a big deal at all. If you don't beat Iowa State, that could affect what happens at the end of the season. Iowa State is 2-7. and seven. They are 0-5 oh in conference. Their two wins this season, Carson, have come against Arkansas Pine Bluff and Jackson State. This is a mm-hmm. team that couldn't get past South Dakota State earlier in the season uh lost to kansas state at home earlier in the season by nine nearly by double digits it's just not a good basketball team they haven't played since january 9th so i would say whether whether Cade plays or not i would expect oklahoma state to win this game uh, now obviously it's not that simple and without Cade and rondell if that is the case again you could see some tired legs for oklahoma state in the second half but this is a game that just you have to win you you just you can't, um, you can't hear about excuses after the game. This is a game that regardless of how many guys you have, regardless of what the names on the back of those jerseys are, you've got to go out and beat Iowa State. Let me try to find a line on this game. So right now, even with the uncertainty, Oklahoma State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And I think that feels right. It's a game that Oklahoma State should win, but it's far from a guarantee. Yeah, ESPN had it at, at three for OSU, but I'm, I'm with you. I think that that sounds about right with the all the uncertainty with OSU's roster. Um, we mentioned Boone. I think this is a huge opportunity 
for a guy who really played well against Baylor as well, and is M.A. Moncrief. I thought he really, really kind of busted back into, into form, 13 points, 10 rebounds. I think there's a huge opportunity for him going on the road at Iowa State with Caden question, with Rondell in question. Obviously, they're going to need a similar output from Caleb Boone, but I thought M.A. Moncrief really played well against Baylor, and that's that's something that we've been kind of waiting on all season, Colby, is some of these younger players to really step up. I think Bryce Williams continues to play really well as, as well. But Moncrief's been kind of up and down. I, I loved what I saw from him. And I think there's a huge opportunity for him going to Ames. I think he needs to play well if OSU's going to win. Yeah, I think he does too. And it's interesting that you bring up Bryce Williams. I was thinking to myself on Saturday, what would this Oklahoma State team look like had Bryce Williams not transferred no to kidding. Stillwater? Because he has been so key in what Oklahoma State has done. All the plays that he made in the Kansas game, he's about the only guy on the floor who is a reliable shooter, uh, especially since Farron Flavors didn't really pan out. You know, obviously now he's injured, but even before the injury, um, he pretty much the only thing that he was supposed to be able to do was shoot. He wasn't shooting the ball well. So I think that this team would be in a lot of trouble had Bryce Williams not made the decision to come to Stillwater. Uh, and I think he needs to have a big game tonight. Also, you know, Isaac likely always gives you a ton more than just scoring, but he really struggled from the field on Saturday. He was struggling to finish inside even early in the game. He really did not shoot the ball well from the free throw line. So I would expect uh, a better game from Isaac likely. I, I would expect tonight if Oklahoma State needs him to, if Caden Rondell don't play and Oklahoma State really needs him to have a vintage Isaac likely game, I think tonight's the night where we see it. Yeah, and I think Likely did a good job knowing that his his shot was struggling. He goes seven of twelve from the free throw line. He gets the line, you know, twelve times. I think that that's something he needs to do if he's struggling with his shot or just do in general. But I think he he realized that he needed to get to the free throw line. That's something he needs to do again tonight as well. And he, <clears throat> you mentioned Bryce Williams has been a pleasant surprise, a, a, a disappointing storyline this season. I think it's been fair and flavors who you know, I'd heard was the, the best shooter on the team leading into the season in terms of three-point shooting. He doesn't even play against Baylor. So there's been some surprises with, with Bryce Williams. I think Rondell Walker's exceeded expectations thus far. But, but man, Farron Flavors has, has not panned out just yet for Mike Boynton. No, he hasn't. And it's kind of Bryce Williams is what we were told Farron Flavors was. He, he comes in from Cal Baptist. He's a guy shooting in the 40% from three and we're thinking oh this is just what Cade needed he just needs a guy who can stand out there and just absolutely light it up and th the reality is some guys and we talked about this uh what was it last year two years ago with Drew Brown that we that we talked about this maybe I talked about it somewhere else I don't know but there, there's a difference in the level of play and the level of competition and I respect the hell out of a guy who comes from a lower division and wants to bet on himself that he can do it at that higher level. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it just doesn't. And that's okay. It's not a knock against Farron Flavors. He came over from Cal Baptist. He, he wanted to make it work at this level, and it just didn't. Now, obviously, the finger injury preve prevented him from having a further chance to kind of find his groove and play his way back into the rotation. But, you know... I always have respect for guys who want to try it at that next level. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And it just, it just didn't work with fair and flavors. Yeah. And that's something you, you risk in the transfer market. I mean, um, uh, was it Kendall Smith, the point guard that OSU had a few years ago? Is that yeah. his name? I, I, I'm yeah, getting, I think so. Yeah. 
I'm getting old and my memory is already failing, but <laughs> that was a guy who also transferred from, from a lower level and was really an all big 12 caliber point guard, really, really won a few games for OSU. So it's, it's a gamble. That's what the transfer market's become. You don't know how guys are going to transition to a, you know, power five level of, of basketball and yeah, give Bryce Williams credit. He's played well coming over from Ole Miss when he really didn't play a whole lot in the SEC. So that's been pleasant surprise and we'll have to see you know the season's still still in the early stages in a big 12 play so we'll see if those guys can like fair and flavors can can make an impact at some point this season They're, they might need them to they might need them just get hot from three for for a game or two just to help them win a few games in, in the in league play so that's the basketball talk we got osu against iowa state at eight o'clock in ames iowa hopefully no hilton magic for the the cyclones against osu but uh, we had some breaking news after we wrapped our last podcast uh colby uh, Colby Harvell Peel has has decided not to enter the NFL draft. He has decided to come back to Oklahoma State, which is obviously massive for this defense. We thought the secondary was going to be, you know, pretty sparse with Rod- Rodarius Williams leaving. We thought Trey Sterling might leave, but he announced right after the bowl game he was coming back. Christian Holmes could have left. He announced he's coming back, and now you got Harvell Peel, Sterling, and Holmes all back in the fold with Rodarius going to the NFL. That's that's huge for their defense next year. Yeah, I was shocked by this because what this signals to me is, you know, most of the time when a guy decides he's going to the NFL and then he changes his mind and comes back, it's because the draft grades weren't what he thought they would be. And so I'm really curious if that was the case here. And if so, what were the draft grades? Because I thought they would have been pretty decent for a guy like Colby Harvell Peel. Now, it wasn't a full season. He did miss just a little bit of time uh, with some injury troubles. But, man, I would have thought that he would have been in a position to be a guy drafted in the first, I don't know, five rounds, which is still, you know, that gives you a great chance uh, to make a roster in the NFL and prove that you can be a guy and stick around for a long time. Not only that, you're you're making money right there. I mean, you're guaranteed money uh, if you're drafted in that slot. So, I just – I was really surprised to see him coming back. But – Boy, did it put a big smile on my face thinking about the fact that Oklahoma State is still going to have Trey Sterling and Colby Harvell Peel on the back end of that defense. Uh, You know, Christian Holmes wants to come back. He wants to, I think, be the next Rodarius, go from being just a guy to being the guy on the edge for Oklahoma State. So I tell you what, I was was concerned that a lot more guys were going to be gone from this Oklahoma State defense than are actually gone. Uh, You know, Malcolm Rodriguez comes back. Hopefully, Trace Ford will be 100% by the start of the season. You get both your safeties back. Christian Holmes is coming back. I'm I'm pretty optimistic that while I do think that there will be a dip for Oklahoma State next year on the defensive side of the ball, maybe it won't be as big as what we thought with the number of guys who've decided to come back. Yeah, I mean they they certainly have guys to replace. I think Amon Ogbongbamiga is the biggest piece who's gonna who's gonna fill his role at linebacker. But but you're right. I mean I think Colby Harvell Peel and Trey Sterling have a legitimate case as the best safety duo in the country, the entire country next year. Now, I don't know who Alabama has filling the shoes of who all their NFL draft picks. I don't, I don't study every team across the country, but those are two all conference caliber safeties coming back for their, their final year. So I think that's, that's huge. And I'm with you. I obviously it had to be the, the draft grade was not to his liking. And I'm, I'm confused by it as well because places like pro football focus, not only had him ranked in their top 200, he was the highest ranked Oklahoma State player ahead of Tylen Wallace in some of their initial, you know, kind of mock draft, you know, player rankings. And I think that's probably what Colby Harvell Peel assumed or thought he would be ranked. But clearly the NFL gave him a grade that may have been, you know, fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth round. He's like, well, I'm not doing that. 
I'm just going to come back and try and win a big 12 title and then, you know, see if I can improve my, my stock. But he did get beat some late in the year. I wonder if NFL teams were concerned about some of those plays. I, I think the TCU game, he gave up a, a big long touchdown and I don't know if he was ever right. He only missed one game due to injury, but he just did not quite look the same as, as he did earlier in the year when he was making, you know, diving interceptions and stuff like that. So maybe he feels like he wasn't able to show his true potential at the end of the year with the, with the injuries he was dealing with Trey Sterling as well. I think he was, he was knocked up pretty bad the last latter half of the year. I think that's probably why he decided to come back as well. So it's, it's a huge boost for OSU's defense. Cause we were sitting there thinking, man, their, their defense can be pretty, deplenished uh coming into next year so that's that's obviously huge for uh, for oklahoma state and and uh the season ahead so uh big for them and uh let's talk some nfl colby some great games this weekend obviously tom brady will play in his 10th super bowl at home for tampa bay let's start with the green bay tampa game and you know you and i have talked all season in college about coaches taking the conservative route and matt lafleur despite having aaron Rodgers as his quarterback Alex to kick a 26-yard field goal instead of going for it on fourth fourth and goal. What was your your take on that decision? I I sat there so dumbfounded in my living room. I probably repeated myself to my wife about 14 times. She was probably really tired of me. I, I think I actually said out loud, "Oh my God, they're going to kick a field goal! Oh my God, they're going to kick a oh my God, they're going to kick a field goal!" <laughs> I I couldn't believe what I was seeing, Carson, because obviously you're not going to kick a field goal and then onside kick. So clearly they were planning on kicking a field goal, kicking it deep to the Tampa Bay Bucks, who have, you know, Tom Brady, who is going now to his 10th Super Bowl, who is even, still the GOAT at 43 years old, still getting it done. Not only that, they've got Leonard Fournette, who's been torching you throughout the day, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who you haven't been able to slow down. They've got Gronk. You're not going to keep them from getting one first down. Not only that, they didn't keep them from getting two first downs. I could not believe that Matt LaFleur elected to kick a field goal there. And quite frankly, neither could Aaron Rodgers, who was pissed after the game. Boy, he came out in that press conference. He said it wasn't his decision to kick the field goal. There's a lot of uncertainty going into the offseason, himself included. And I just, I cannot imagine being a Packers fan and friend of mine, Todd Lisenby, and I texted a little bit yesterday. And, you know, I love to give Packers fans grief, mostly because Dylan and Todd, who I worked with some at the franchise, are big Packers fans. And it's just a kind of fun back and forth. But I cannot imagine the pain that Packers fans felt when they saw Mason Crosby run onto the field with two minutes and change left down by eight to kick a field goal, but shout out to Matt LaFleur because he accomplished his goal. He lost by less than he would have lost if they would have gone for it and not gotten it. So shout out to Matt LaFleur for losing by five instead of eight. That is highly, highly commendable. It's really one of those decisions that as they're making it, you wonder if you're missing something like is the, did I miss something here? Is the score actually wrong on the, on the, on the screen? Like none of it made any Did sense. The clock Even operator in, screw up maybe. Yeah. And, and, and it's, what's funny is, you know, some people have pointed out that the analytics actually say that it gave them a point, you know, 5% better chance to win by making that decision. But what the analytics don't tell you is that you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback and that you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady. There's no analytics for that. Just, so just say it out loud. Say, I have Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback. 
we're going to kick a 26-yard field goal and hope we stop Tom Brady with a Super Bowl spot on the line. And in the NFL, Colby, it's so much harder. It's so much easier, rather, for teams to run the clock out. With you know, it's just, uh, it was. And here's the thing: if you go for it on fourth down and don't get it, you have three timeouts and the two-minute warning, and they're pinned inside their own twenty. So, even if you don't get it, it's it's still an advantageous situation where you have more time, more timeouts, and they're they're not they're going to be way they're going to be way more conservative offensively in that scenario where they're down inside their own red zone. So I just, I hated the decision. Aaron Rodgers clearly did as well. And here's the other thing. Aaron Rodgers said he didn't, you know, he, he maybe could have run for a touchdown. Definitely um, could have. And he said the reason he didn't was he thought he was going to get another crack at it. So that clearly the communication was not there between him and the floor. And I think it cost not only the Packers, obviously a chance to go to the Super Bowl, but now you got Aaron Rodgers, as you mentioned, talking about his future being uncertain. He was already pissed at the organization. They drafted a quarterback in the first round, which was just mind-numbingly stupid you know Aaron Rodgers has had very little weapons around him besides you know Devontae Adams was a second round pick but Aaron Rodgers has never played with a first round draft pick wide receiver they have time and time again not taken a high pick to help him offensively that's why I think he's done with that I think he's he's done with LaFleur's decision to, to take that that route and so I just I couldn't believe the decision and here's another thing my dad has been on this train since ever since I've watched football with him. He absolutely positively hates and completely vehemently disagrees with people going for two in the third quarter because the Packers did that. Now that it was dropped, they should have caught it, but they went for two, which they're chasing points. I understand that, but since they didn't get it, they now trail by eight instead of seven. So then you, you put yourself in a situation where you not only have to score a touchdown, you have to get the two-point conversion just to tie. So I think they were aggressive in the third quarter when they shouldn't have been, and they were less aggressive in the fourth quarter when they absolutely had to. So I don't know how you feel about two-point conversions, Colby, but my dad's been on this. He says, do not go for two until it's the fourth quarter because you end up chasing points. You end up putting yourself in a position where you need a two-point conversion when if you just take the, the, the extra point, you wouldn't need to. Yeah, I, I didn't mind the going for two, but that's cert I'm not nearly as passionate about that as I am about, you know, punting on fourth and one from midfield or, uh, you know, kicking the field goal like LaFleur did yesterday. That's kind of dealer's choice to me. If you want to go for it in the third quarter, go for two. If you don't, don't. I, I think that your chances are about the same either way because you might end up having to go for two later. But another thing that I thought was so dumbfounding about it, Green Bay had the best red zone offense as far as scoring touchdowns in the NFL all season. They had the best goal to go offense in terms of scoring touchdowns in the NFL all season. Even earlier in the game, you know, Devontae Adams drops a back shoulder touchdown. And then on third down on that same series earlier in the game, uh, what, what's his name? Lazard from Iowa State. He's running wide open on an underneath slant. Rodgers misses him, throws Adams out the back of the end zone. They elect to kick a field goal again on that last possession. Rodgers probably could have run it in on second or third down and didn't. The chances were there. So you're, you're creating the opportunity and the best guys in the NFL at getting it done in that scenario in the red zone in the goal to go situations just haven't quite made the plays yet. But you're not going to give them one more chance. I mean, the opportunities have been there. It's not like Tampa Bay has just absolutely stifled you and you've had no chance to get the ball into the end zone. They had four chances on two different goal-to-go possessions to, to really fairly easily get the ball into the end zone and went 0 for 4. You, you think Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are going 0 for 5? 
I'll take my chances that they're going to convert one before I'll take my chances of stopping Tom Brady. And it just, you know, I was tweeting about it. I was fired up. And of course I'm getting Oklahoma state fans back in my mentions. Carson talking about Mike Gundy would be proud of Matt LaFleur. Mike Gundy sitting at his cat on his couch at home <laughs> with a smile on his face. And it was just, it, it was some fun, uh, some fun Sunday Twitter interactions yesterday. Yeah, that, that was the where the mind immediately jumps to for OSU fans. And and again, like you mentioned, their red zone offense was so elite. And just who do you want to put the ball who – who do you want to decide the game for you, Aaron Rodgers or your defense who's, who's given up a ton of big passing plays all, all, all day? So I just – that's they, they got the fate they deserved with that decision. Now I'm, I'm questioning whether Aaron Rodgers will be back in Green Bay. I wouldn't blame him at all if he left. Obviously, he's a legend there. Um, but – if I'm him, I want to go somewhere that has more than just one receiver, kind of like Tom Brady decided to move on from from New England to go to a, a place like Tampa that had weapons all around him. So I'm, I'm curious to see where Aaron Rodgers goes if, or if he decides to stay. But uh, so it's Tom Brady and they're playing at home in Tampa for the Super Bowl, although, you know, it's not going to be a typical home game with with COVID. But he gets to face the Chiefs, who I didn't think – the Chiefs were nearly as dominant the last five, six games of the season as they they have been the last year. So I really thought Buffalo would give them a game, and they did. They they jumped on them early, but man, Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid, I just don't know how you stop them over the course of a four quarter football game. They're just they're completely unstoppable, and their defense has played really well too. The Chiefs have uh who is right now probably the best head coach in the NFL in Andy Reid they have the best probably offensive coordinator in the NFL in Eric Bieniemy. I don't care who calls the plays on Sunday Bieniemy puts the plan in during the week and then they go out and execute it on Sunday they've got the best quarterback in the NFL they've got the best tight end in the NFL they've got the best wide receiver in the NFL in Tyreek Hill he is the best wide receiver in the NFL he took an eight yard quick slant yesterday with six defenders still behind him and he took another 60 yards after he caught it he's the best receiver in the NFL on the other side of the ball they've got probably the second best defensive lineman in the NFL behind Aaron Donald and Chris Jones Chris Jones one of the most underrated players in the league because everybody talks about Kansas City's offense Chris Jones is an absolute machine they've got Tyron Matthew on the back end who you could argue is the best safety in the entire NFL if not one of the top three this is such a well put together football team they didn't lose any coordinators off last year's team I bet them in August to win the Super Bowl at six to one I can go in and hedge with Tampa Bay now that I mean that was an easy bet I uh you know people who bet that that's a bet that you should have placed and if you didn't you should place it next year you probably won't get them at six to one next year think about it if they win in two weeks Carson they are a D Ford offsides from a three-peat I mean think about the margin how how small it is between winning and losing Super Bowls. D4 jumps off sides in that AFC championship game back in uh, 2019. And they don't win. And then they're going to win the next two probably, unless the Bucks can pull off the upset. This Chiefs team is just an absolute juggernaut. And I, I've got a, a friend who's a really big Chiefs fan. I was texting him yesterday. And I'm like, you know, I, I saw people earlier today talking about Aaron Rodgers you know, calling him the GOAT. And Todd Lisenby thinks he's the GOAT and goes on Twitter and talks about it. Aaron Rodgers isn't even close. You know who's who's already more accomplished than Aaron Rodgers in his career and who's going to be the only player who will ever give Tom Brady a run for GOAT? It's Patrick Mahomes. So, uh, you know, Tony Romo said this would have been like seeing Jordan take the Wizards to the 
the finals. This would be like seeing Jordan and LeBron play in the NBA finals. This is an unbelievable Super Bowl. The only thing I don't like about this Super Bowl is that we have to wait 13 more days to watch it because I'm already antsy. Yeah, no doubt. And you're right. I mean, if, if Mahomes wins this one, he's got two already, could have had three. He's going to make a real run at Brady's six Super Bowls if he win, if he wins this one because he's only he's he's under 25. he's twenty he's twenty five years old, and I do wonder if Andy Reid will will coach. I mean, Andy Reid absolutely should stick around and coach Mahomes throughout his career. I mean, who knows how much they can win together? But so that no, you're right. I mean, what Mahomes has done has been unbelievable. But I will say this, and I, I pointed this back out. I I made this point back in September. You know, Pat Mahomes went to the absolute perfect place because he didn't have to play his first year. He got to sit behind Alex Smith. And these are the teams that passed on him. So listen to some of these horrible, poorly run franchises. Oh, I can't wait for this. The Browns, the Bears. Huh. And not all these are terrible, but the 49ers, Jaguars, Titans, Jets, Chargers, Panthers, Bengals. You know, if he gets drafted by the Jets – is he still Pat Mahomes? Obviously. But is he embraced with the true air raid spread principles that Andy Reid has just gone off with? I mean, all the those plays he runs with like McCole Hardman running into rounds and those jet sweeps and Tyree kills all over the field. I mean, where you get drafted absolutely matters in the NFL. There's some places that you don't really have much of a chance. But so I give Pat Mahomes a ton of credit. But man, he was fortunate to last all the way until the 10th pick when the Chiefs took him because, look, the Chiefs hadn't won before his arrival. I, I know that. But to go to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, who have fully embraced, you know, because when, when Mahomes came out, Colby, we were not seeing these, these spread concepts nearly as much back when he was drafted. It really, I think Mahomes is really kind of, and Reid have really kind of forced other teams to reevaluate and go to more, you know, spread concepts and, and more wide open offense. So, it's a, it's a deadly combo with, with Mahomes and, and Kelsey and Tyreek and Reed. It's really just the perfect combination. So how are you going to hedge exactly? I, hedging to me is such a foreign concept. I know you got the Chiefs at six to one. So what's the, how do you hedge this game perfectly for someone like me who doesn't understand the hedging as much? Yeah, so hedging basically just means no matter the outcome of the game, you make money. You don't make as much, but you know, you're not gambling at that point. You're making money, and I, I don't bet on sports to gamble. I don't do it for the thrill. I do it as an investment. Um, so before the season, back in August, Chiefs were going off at 6-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. Put $100 on it. So $100 at 6-1, to one, so I'm set to win $600 if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Or I can go in and I can bet the bucks on the money line at, and I can put roughly $250, $300 on it. And then whichever team wins, I'm guaranteed now $300. That would be a traditional hedge. What I will probably actually do, the line right now is Kansas City minus three. So what I'm probably going to do, just because I am a, a little greedy and uh, I, I would <laughs> like to try to get a little lucky, what I'll probably do is I'll probably go in and put 300 on the bucks plus the three. Because then if they win the game, I still get my 300 on the Bucs. Uh, you, you know, I don't get my 600 on the Chiefs, but I still get my 300 on the Bucks. But if Kansas City were to win, let's say, 31 to 30, then now I would hit my Chiefs Super Bowl bet and I would hit my Bucks uh, plus three bet. So now it's kind of a, 
I don't, I don't even know what the term is. It's not a double hedge, but essentially I'm giving myself a three-point window where if Kansas City just barely wins the game, then I could hit both bets and really make out like a bandit. So that's that's kind of how hedging works. Once you've got one side uh, down to where you just have one game left on a full season bet, then you can go in and bet the other side half of what your winnings would be, and then you guarantee yourself uh, that half. So that's that's kind of my plan for the Super Bowl. And knowing that you've already made money on a game is the absolute best way to watch a game. I've done it before. <laughs> it's a blast. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I mean, I, I totally understand the, the money line one makes it way more simple for me. I, I wasn't sure how you were going to middle you know, the three point line by betting the bucks plus the three. So that you're rooting for a, a chiefs one to two point win. That would be, that would be absolutely perfect. Yeah. I'm rooting for an all timer, just a classic. Yeah. I, I think we might get that. Although it got scary to bet the bucks plus three with, oh, with it is. the way that the chiefs just, it just seems almost impossible to stop them. Cause Mahomes doesn't just throw it up for grabs. It seems like he just throws the wide open receivers all day and they just catch it and, and run it. So that's going to be a fun super bowl, the goat versus the up and coming goat will be a, will be a lot of fun. Let's do buckets and bricks real quick before we get out of here, Colby. Uh, it's our segment where we give out you know positive vibes and negative vibes. Uh, my my bucket is going to be Caleb Boom, who we, we talked a lot about. Just the way he's kind of overcome his is really he was kind of depressed with the way he was playing and the way he stepped up in the absence of of Cade and and Rondell was was really impressive. Twenty eight minutes, you know, tied a career high with seven rebounds, twenty one points, a career high as well. So. I got to go with Caleb. He, he really shined against Baylor. Yeah, that's a great one. I love that. He was awesome on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to give my bucket to Bruce Arians. B Bruce Arians, if we're going to sit here and rip coaches for doing dumb things, then we've got to give credit to Bruce Arians. I even tweeted yesterday, if you coach aggressively, the football gods will <laughs> reward you. At the end of the first half, they've got a fourth and three from the 45-yard line of Green Bay, and they decided to go for it with 13 seconds left in the first half. Leonard Fournette, who's had hands like a snake all season, catches a ball in traffic. And then what do they do with eight seconds left? They don't try to run a quick 10-yard out to get into field goal range. Tom Brady throws a bomb up the left side to Scotty Miller, who slides underneath it in the end zone. It was absolutely perfect. And it's because a coach was willing to take a risk. And it was a risk. If you don't pick up the fourth and three, Aaron Rodgers now has the ball at his own 45-yard line with eight seconds left. I, I don't know if anybody's ever seen Aaron Rodgers throw a Hail Mary. It's pretty damn impressive. And it works more often than anybody else throwing a Hail Mary. So shout out to Bruce Arians, coach aggressively, and the football gods will reward you. It was an awesome sequence at the end of the first half. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the final score. That's the difference in the game. I yeah. mean, if they if they chicken out there, who knows how that game plays out. So I'm, I'm with you. My brick is going to go to Coach K from Duke. Ooh. I don't know if you saw this, but oh, yeah. he, he was asked a, a very innocuous question about how they move forward. And Coach K asked the kids major and really admonishes him in the press conference, which to me, I think we're, we're seeing that Coach K – is the sorest loser of them all. I mean, when his team got off to a slow start, he wanted to like cancel the season due to COVID because he's just, he's that poor of a loser. And let's face it, he hasn't lost a ton in his career. So I kind of understand why he's a sore loser, but he had to issue a, I guess he apologized to the student today and, and realized he was being a, a total jerk. So he gets my brick. I mean, quit being a sore loser, Coach K. You've won enough, all right? You've won a ton in your career. You're a Hall of Famer. What are you, what are you admonishing some student reporter for? I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, it was incredibly weak. And, and like you said, it was a cupcake question. You know, Duke's five and five. 
Duke is a team that is looking at not making the tournament if they don't kind of really get it stepped up here. And a, a student reporter just trying to, it was the first question he'd ever asked Coach K. And I, I'm sure you were a student reporter once. I was a student reporter once. The first time that you ask a question to the big coach, it's, it's intimidating. You're nervous. You're, you're shaking a little bit. Your heart rate's up. And he throws him an absolute cupcake. Coach, how do you move forward from here? And that's when Coach K should have said, you know, we just got to get back in the gym, look at what's worked, look at what hasn't worked, and try to be better moving forward. You don't ask the kid his major and admonish him for, for lobbing you a cupcake question when you're having your worst season you've had in two decades, plus as a head coach at Duke. That was incredibly weak. Uh, so that's a good one. I, I really like that one. <clears throat> Uh, my brick today is going to go to just the small handful. Carson, it's just a small handful, but it's actual real-life people that I know, not robots on Twitter, who actually took to Twitter on Saturday at about 2.45 p.m. and blamed Mike Boynton for Baylor going on a second-half run and winning that basketball game. I, I really don't know how anyone – could have watched that game on Saturday and thought to themselves, you know what? The reason Butler hit all those threes in the second half was because of a uh, coaching breakdown by Mike Boynton. Give me a break. They had eight players. They absolutely played their hearts out, and they just didn't have enough. They're playing one of the best teams in the country, a team that is absolutely going to be a favorite to make it to the Final Four and has a real chance to win a national championship. Baylor's undefeated and have not played a game within eight points this year. So there have been things in Mike Boynton's time uh, that he can be criticized for game management and things like that. Saturday wasn't one of them. So I understand sometimes fans get a little upset in the game, but let's at least try to be semi-rational whenever the number one pick in the NBA draft is out and a, a really up and coming star freshman is out, not to mention the three other guys who are out with injuries. Oklahoma State was a bit limited on Saturday, so uh, let's take it easy and try to think with our heads sometimes and not always just tweet the first thing that comes from our heart whenever our team starts losing. Sounds like you need to unfollow some people if that's their take after that I, game. I was dumbfounded. I really was. <laughs> yeah, that's that's ridiculous. That's that's certainly worthy of a brick. Okay, one interesting thing before we get out of here. I got, I got two really quick ones. Number one, the Mahomes-Brady matchup. They've split the four meetings when they've played each other. The combined score is Mahomes 121, Brady 120. So that's a that's a pretty interesting stat given you know two two quarterbacks going head to head. They've split the four meetings and the point differentials one. So that that's interesting. And I kind of mentioned this too about Mahomes going to the perfect spot. You know, Matthew Stafford is going to leave Detroit. It reminded me so much of Barry Sanders kind of being stuck on, at Detroit. It was just they haven't won a playoff game since the 50s. And they just, for whatever reason, Detroit is just a poorly run, just poorly executed football franchise. And I'm curious to see how Matthew Stafford does somewhere else because I think he's a really good football player. He's played through some unbelievably tough injuries. He's tough as hell. And I think you're, I just, I can't help but notice the, the symmetry between, you know, I always wanted Barry Sanders to become a free agent and play behind a really good offensive line and see what that looked like. So, Credit to Matt Stafford for playing through what he what he's playing through. But if Barry Sanders was playing nowadays, I think he would have given it a shot and played somewhere else. So those are my two interesting things. Yeah, I think so too. But by the way, can we get Matt Stafford to Pittsburgh to throw to James Washington? Because I think that would be a lot of fun. How about Aaron Rodgers? 
how about Aaron Rodgers? That would be interesting too. I will say, I, I think he was just venting after the game yesterday. I would still be surprised if he wasn't in uh, if he wasn't in in Green Bay next year. But you never know. And him him in Pittsburgh is interesting. Well, I would suggest the Green Bay drafts a wide receiver in the first round, uh, maybe a, a wide receiver in the second round as well. And obviously, they need, need some defensive help as well. But what, what if Kyle Trask is there? You think Green Bay should take a chance on Kyle Trask? They, the they might. They need to take the other Kyle from Florida, Kyle Pitts. And now they're, they're not picking high enough for him. But yeah. get get Aaron Rodgers some weapons. It just he's never played with a first round draft pick wide receiver. And look what he's done with Devonte Adams. Who's a, who was a second round pick. Like obviously Devonte Adams is supremely talented, but it just shows you when you, when you take a blue chip skill talent player high like that, that's the result. And he just, he hasn't had a lot of help. So what do you got for one interesting thing? Yeah. One interesting thing for me is just, and, and I'll explain further, but one interesting, interesting thing for me is COVID and just the way it affects different people and, and just kind of to bring this back to Cade Cunningham. So the way Mike Boynton described it after the game on Saturday is that he was basically cleared, but he hadn't done anything in a week. And I'm assuming that he did have COVID. And so it just takes you a little while to get your energy back. A lot of people have had it. I'm sure people listening have it. I have it right now. I tested positive this past Wednesday and I feel so much better than I felt at the end of last week. I don't have my, my energy back. I don't, I don't have my pep in my step. I don't have my legs really underneath me. You know, I'm, I'm used to working out a few times a week, uh, getting on the treadmill, doing things like that here at the house. That's not something that I'm going to be doing this week. <laughs> be patient with Cade Cunningham. I know people want to see him out there, wanted him out there Saturday, want him out there tonight. It affects everyone differently. And I think that especially seeing what happened with the kid down at Florida, the heart complications that came from it, it's just, it really is not simple. It is complicated. It affects everyone differently. When he's ready to be out there, I promise he will be out there. I hope it's tonight, but if it's not, I get it. So just be patient and let's uh, let's make sure that health does come first as we move forward. Yep, that's a good point. We'll have to wait and see if, if Cade plays tonight against Iowa State. And then obviously it's the Big 12 SEC Challenge on Saturday, OSU. Uh, against Arkansas so two big games for OSU we'll, we'll break it down on uh, on Friday Colby hopefully OSU gets a win against Iowa State and uh, hopefully you start feeling better as well I know you you're on the mend but hopefully you're back to 100% uh, come Friday and later this week so we'll we'll chat with you then thanks as always absolutely hope it's a good one tonight go Pokes <laughs>